Good morning, everyone. It is a particular delight to be here uh, and see all of you. My wife and I and our family live just south on 202 in Westchester outside the borough. And as a pastor of at Covenant Fellowship, Raymond is a dear friend of our church, and we consider you kind of like extended family in the Lord. We know that a good work is being done in the borough of Westchester because of your presence here, both in the word that you proclaim and the works that you do. So it is particularly wonderful to come and greet you and get the privilege of speaking to you this morning from Psalm 103. Um, I am going to read through the psalm to begin, and uh, then I'll pray and, and begin my message. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, I thank You for this text so rich with gospel truth. As I address parents in particular today, Lord, I pray that this message, these words, this truth would penetrate the hearts of all, for this is not necessarily a parenting psalm. This is a God-glorifying, salvation-describing psalm that affects all of our hearts. Give me grace as I speak and give those in front of me, grace to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. In his commentary of the Psalms, Charles Spurgeon introduced Psalm 103 
with the following description. As in the lofty Alps, some peaks rise above the others, so among even the inspired psalms, there are heights of song which overtop the rest. This 103rd psalm has ever seemed to us to be the Monte Rosa of the divine chain of mountains of praise, glowing with a ruddier light than any of the rest. It is as the apple tree among the trees of the wood, and its golden fruit has a flavor such as no fruit ever bears unless it has been ripened in the full sunshine of God's mercy. There is too much in the psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all-comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible itself, and it alone might suffice for the hymn book of the church. Now, in this introduction, in the first few verses, David begins the psalm by commanding his own soul to praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me, bless His holy name. And David repeats that call. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. If you're like me, like David, we need to regularly remind ourselves of the blessings of God, of the benefits of God, and call our soul to praise especially in the midst of life's challenges, and no more true than this past year and a half we've been living. I, I don't just want to sing the words. I want to, as David, you want to, as David calls us, to bless the Lord down to the very core of your being. You know, it can be easy to sing the words, easy to read the Scriptures and not allow it to affect your soul. David's calling us, as he calls himself, to put our focus on God. We get caught up with both the difficulties and the pleasures of life. And as parents, for those of you here who are parents, there's, there can be uh, nothing more healing for the troubled parenting soul than to get refocused on God and send a message down to your soul that generates just excitement that your mouth then sings, bless the Lord, O my soul. Do you ever do that at home? We, we sing out loud. Do you ever praise God out loud at home? Do you ever call your soul to bless the Lord, think about what He's done, and then just praise aloud? As we review what this psalm tells us, that's what it does. It stirs our heart and calls us to praise. Consider these truths in verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity? We deserve judgment, but God in His kindness sent His Son Jesus to take our punishment so that our sins could be forgiven. God is our reconciler. Verse 4, He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. We were helpless, fallen into the pit of sin, and we had no hope of getting out. And God, He could have left us there. We deserve judgment, but instead God reached down His hand and rescued us. Instead of judgment, He gave us mercy. He's our Redeemer. Verse 5, not only did God forgive us and rescue us, it then says He satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagle's. 
Consider how amazing God is to reward those, we, who hated Him, who turned away, who rejected Him. To us who were once the enemies of God, He pours out His blessing. God is our restorer. He's our refresher. That is why David commands his soul to praise the Lord. God, in all He has done, is the fuel of our praise. Now, we heat our house with wood, and if you need to keep that fire burning, you got to keep adding logs. When you start, you put the little kindling in, but then as the flame begins to grow, you can put the larger logs in. And we see that uh, God is the fuel of our praise, and after giving us some kindling, He highlights who God is with these giant logs of truth in verses 6 through 14. God does not repay us according to our sins, verse 10. God's love for us is higher than the heavens. If you do any study of how big the heavens are, uh, they keep going as far as we have looked millions and millions, not of miles, but of galaxies that are each millions and billions of miles long. God's love is higher than the heavens. God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. You can't even get your mind around that truth. It is infinitely far away because the east and west never come together. Then verse verse 13 As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Wait. Now, there's something different about that verse. I remember reading through this psalm in the midst of some significant parenting challenges. Coming to verse 13, it said, wait a minute, God, hold on. You are comparing yourself with me? That seems backwards. Notice that God is not comparing our parenting to His. God is comparing His parenting to ours. Just as an earthly father shows compassion to his children, so God shows compassion toward us. Wait a minute, God. I don't think you want to be comparing yourself to me. Have you seen my failures. And then it hit me. I'm supposed to be able to do this as a dad. I mean, God believes this. He wrote it in the Scripture. This is not beyond my ability. Here I am struggling the enemy ever ready to condemn me and tell me I'm a failure as a father or say you're a failure as a mother. And God says, no, no, hold on. My compassion in parenting my children is like theirs. Like like that dad's over there or that mom over there. When I read it and I thought about it, it inspired me. It told me that as a dad, 
I am designed and that I am capable by God's grace to live with the same compassion in my parenting that God has toward His children. I learned that my earthly parenting by design is meant to stand side by side with God's compassionate, grace-filled parenting. God should be able to say, I'm doing just what these moms and dads here are doing for their children. Somehow, as I began to see it, it, it motivated me. There's a motivation here for us. From there, I realized that for the parent, this psalm provides a framework for how to relate to our kids, especially those who rebel, reject, and turn away. So as a dad, I began to want to model my life after God's. And here's what I discovered, that when you parent your children with compassion, like God shows compassion to us, they get a picture of who He is by seeing who we are. When we demonstrate compassionate, gospel-filled parenting, we shine forth the image of God to our children. Too often, my parenting, our parenting can be marked by anger, rebuke, punishment, consequence. But what we see in Psalm 103 is parenting is meant to be compassionate and forgiving, which points our children to God's gospel love. And so what I'd like to do with the remainder of this message is I'd like to draw out five characteristics of a compassionate gospel parent. And admittedly, there is overlap in these, but I want to look at this psalm and reflect on it as a dad and for you moms and dads. Compassionate gospel parents are teachers. Look at verse 6 and 7. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. If it were not for God revealing Himself to us, we would not know who He is. I think back when I see this description of God to God teaching Moses. God saw the Israelites suffering he delivers them out of Egypt. Then there's this, he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Moses breaks those. He gets a, a second tablet from God. And God appears in all His glory before Moses. And it says that He declares His name. He lets Moses know the fullness of His name. And He says this, says this, The Lord descended on the cloud and stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. There in that moment, God reveals his ways to Moses that he's an all-forgiving, all-powerful God. Then later, and this comes to us, Moses charges parents to pass on truth to their children. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's from Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9. The first and perhaps most important step in becoming a compassionate gospel parent is that we must make known God's ways to our children. We must tell the story of His mighty acts to the next generation. That's what God has done for us as His children to let us know, and that's what we as parents must do to our children to let them know. We need to tell them how God delivered Israel, how Israel disobeyed in spite of God's kindness. We need to tell them that rather than destroy Israel for their rebellion, God rescued them and loved them. We need to tell them about Jesus and the story of His rescue plan. The gospel contains the word of light, life, and our most important task as parents is passing on this word of life to our kids. You know, sometimes we can expect our kids to know without telling them. It's like you get up and your toddler has taken a permanent marker. How did they get it? And for the first time, drawn on the wall, you say, no, don't you? supposed to draw on the wall. They just look up. They were just so happy doing it. No, mom, you never told me that one. Like, oh, you should know. How how do they know? They know when we tell them. Paul says, I would not have known what coveting was if the word did not say, do not covet. And so let us be faithful to tell the truth to our children. We desperately want our children to know and follow Jesus. We want them to turn away from the world and live for Christ. We want them to choose a godly spouse, avoid the dangers of the internet, work diligently at their schoolwork, not waste time on video games, avoid the pitfalls of drug use. But have we properly introduced them to the God who is bigger than all those things and better than all those things and to a salvation that is more glorious, more satisfying. It can be hard. In theory, I want to do family devotions, but I more often fail to do them than do them. I've made that mistake. Proverbs 24, 16 says, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets up again. And in that verse, we really see that falling, stopping family devotions, yeah, we got, we got away from it, falling is not failure. The righteous man gets up again. What is failure? Failure ultimately is refusing to get back up after you fall. So if, if you're like me and you've in one of those seasons where you're not teaching your children the truths of God's Word, you, you've gotten away from it, life is too busy, you don't know where the time is to do it, then you've fallen. Be the righteous man and get back up and do it again. The enemy wants to keep you down. Oh, you're a terrible dad. You're a terrible mom. You're not doing this. You might as well just give up right now. But the Spirit of God is saying, no, no, no. Tell your children the great gospel truth. Get back up again and start afresh. And forget about the days that have passed 
and look to the future and tell the children of my great gospel love. Compassionate gospel parents or teachers. And we're slow to anger. That's the call of this text in verses 8 and 9. We learn that compassionate gospel parents, if we're to be like God, model God, be the example God points to, need to be slow to anger. Now, I used to think I was a patient man. That was until I got kids. People told me that I was patient because of a lot of the detailed drawing and, and things that I liked to do. Oh, you're so patient to be able to do that. I thought, yeah, I'm a patient guy. Then God gave us twins to start, and I found out just how impatient I could be. You know, uh, literally stirring with anger inside because this little kid in my hand won't drink from his bottle. What are you doing? And I think, how can I be angry at an infant? I'm so quick to anger. One mom wrote this story on her blog. I'm trying to clean up from dinner after working all day and rushing home in time for my husband to go in for his night shift. The kids are running laps through the kitchen and living room area. I try to get the last few dishes into the dishwasher when I realize the footsteps have stopped pounding and it's a little bit too quiet. I go to the living room to find the laundry that has been folded earlier, sprawled across the floor and all over the couches. The kids are nowhere to be found. They're in the bathroom and have poured the bath soap onto the floor and are buck naked, rubbing themselves with the soap. They think it's hilarious. This may seem cute to some, but I am exhausted. exhausted. And patience is the last thing that I have. There are no deep breaths or moments of reflection, just yelling. I send them to the rooms and start the cleanup process. I so wish I had a personal cleanup crew of imaginary little gnomes that would just show up when I needed them. Why gnomes? I have no idea. Perhaps I've officially gone delirious. Isn't it true just how quickly we can get angry, how life's small trials can challenge us? I can be happy. You could interview me in one moment, and I would tell you my life is great. I am doing fine. And tweak my idols just a bit, take a little something away, and I can get angry very quickly. Kids throw the ball in the house and knock something off the mantle, and it crashes in a million pieces. You want to see how fast my utopia goes down the tube? Isn't it easy to get anger, angry? God is slow to anger. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. This character trait of God is celebrated by Moses, Nehemiah, and David. They repeated this scripture that God first gave to Moses. Jonah, that was the reason why he fled to Tarshish. He knew that God would forgive the Ninevites. Joel, the call of the prophet Joel, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Here's the question. How well do we demonstrate this quality to our children? Do our children know us as slow to anger when they make mistakes? 
Solomon entreats us to this godly character trait. He says, being slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 15, 18. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 16, 32. It is his glory he who overlooks an offense. Proverbs 19, 11. And it got, anger got so bad in my home, the Spirit of God convicted me. I told my wife, Lois, I said, look, I just, I've been angry. Been angry over so many little things. We've become an angry household. Not only am I angry, but the kids are angry with one another. Said, I'm going to call all the kids together, and I'm just going to confess that I've become an angry dad. She said, yeah, you know what? I want to confess that I've been an angry mom. So we pulled the kids together. I confessed. My wife confessed. Something wonderful happened. One by one, each of the kids also confessed that they too had become angry. We had seen it as a family. We made a pact that if anybody started to get angry, that another person in the family, even the kids to mom and dad, could put their hand on the person's thigh or on their shoulder. And that would just signal, think about it, slow down, don't become so angry. And so by God's grace, we learned this not to be so angry. I could still remember in the later teen years when I got a call from another dad that my son had been arrested by the local police. I drove to the police station. It was closed. And I drove around for two hours trying to find him with no luck. Not long after I got home, I saw him then walking up our driveway, and I said, we need to talk. His reply, not now, Dad. He just passed by me and started walking into the house. I was grieved and hurt. I wanted to know what happened. I could feel a war going on within my soul. My flesh wanted to scream out in anger and let him know how disappointed I was. I wanted to punish him for what? I didn't even know what it was for. Didn't even know what happened. But by God's grace, as I closed the distance to where he had gone, the Spirit of God worked in me, and I began to feel compassion for him. What must he be feeling right now? So I went in with a quiet voice and pleaded for a moment to talk and to pray. He was softened by my tone and agreed to sit down. I did most of my time just communicating my affections and support and my desire to help him. I encouraged him to turn from his sin and that the Lord was willing to heal and forgive I didn't punish him in that moment. I just tried to help him see the pit that he had fallen into and offered him my hand to help him pull out. Later, he said this to me. I thought you were going to ground me forever and take away my car and a host of other punishments. When you were kind to me and didn't punish me, it affected me. God used your kindness and lack of anger to help me see what he is like. I thought, oh Lord, thank you. Would you help us? Would you help us in those most difficult moments when our kids are turning away and we are filled with a fleshly desire to rage? 
Would you help us? Would you help us to be like God? God is loving. Verses 10 and 11. Compassionate gospel parents are called to be loving. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. You know, when our children are toddlers, we we really do need to discipline them regularly. We discipline them if they throw their food or if they hit a sibling, if they refuse to come and, and more. Our discipline, the Scriptures tell us, drive the foolishness from our children and help them understand that, you know, early in life that there are consequences, dangerous consequences to bad behavior. But we can just carry that mentality on into the teen years, that every disobedience must have a consequence and punishment. We deal with our, ch- our children according to their sins. We repay our children in accordance with their iniquities. But what does God do for us? He does just the opposite. He doesn't punish us for every sin. He does not give us a discipline each time we disobey. You know, we can make up a million rules for our kids. You must not give me that pouty face. Don't stomp your feet. You must not forget to clean up after yourself. You must eat everything on your plate. Don't talk after bedtime. Don't come out of your room for a drink. Don't get out of your bed and walk around. Don't scribble on your coloring. I mean, there's just a hundred things that we can do to make more rules that are actually on top of the most important ones that God puts in His Word. Now, not all those things are bad. But what does it look like? Are we demonstrating love and encouragement? Or is it more rules? More law? And ultimately, you know what I discovered in my heart? Those rules and law are so often designed not for the benefit and welfare of my kids, but for the peace and quiet of dad's life. What does God do for us? He writes His law upon our hearts and sends us His Spirit to convict us, to open our eyes and see that what we're doing is wrong. And as a parent, we need to transition from being a disciplinarian to being a discipler. As our children grow older, our work as disciplinarian must give work, give way to the work of the Spirit. So rather than bring down a heavy judgment upon our children, We entreat them with the Word of God. We try to help them see the folly of their ways, and we relate to them more as fellow sinners. We all need God's Spirit to help us to change, don't we? Galatians 6, 1 to 5 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. When our children sin, is that an opportunity for us to reflect on our own sinfulness 
and speak to them out of the grace that God has given us as He's related to us, slow to anger and abounding in love. Paul's saying we should relate to sinners as fellow sinners. Though they may have fallen into sin, it could very well be that we are the next to fall. So let's, when we're talking to our kids, let's consider our own weakness and then reach out to them with love. Forgiving, compassionate gospel parents teach their children to be slow to anger and loving and forgiving. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Should somebody ask my kids, what's your dad like? What a joy it would be for them to say, oh, he's one of the most forgiving men that I know. Wow, what a compliment that would be. You know, the reality is too often we keep a record of wrong. You know, you never listen to me. I've got a catalog back here. You know, this is the 10th time that you did fill in the blank. If I have told you once, I have told you a thousand times. You know, this is not the first time I've told you to do this. I'm keeping a record of wrong. We don't say that, but that's kind of what's behind that. Peter wanted to know, how many times do I need to forgive Seven times? Just realized this thing was kind of like off into left field. Peter wanted to know, how many times must I forgive? Seven times? Jesus says, 70 times seven. In other words, how much do I forgive? You just keep on forgiving. But you don't know how many times my kids have not. You just keep on forgiving. But you don't understand if I do that, what well, he'll just keep on forgiving. So how do we accomplish this impossible task, especially if we have a rebellious child who seems to refuse to obey? Well, the Bible says there is only one way to find grace to forgive, and that is to meditate on the cross and the forgiveness of our own sins extended to us. Paul wrote to the Colossians, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Keep the parable of the unforgiving servant in your mind. He was forgiven a massive debt greater than 2,000 lifetimes could repay. He, in turn, punished his fellow servant for three months' wages. Our sins against God are far greater than our children's sins against us. That's just a reality. The fifth thing that we learn Compassionate gospel parents are understanding. It's important to realize that our children are weak sinners like us. We've lived their struggle. Look how long it has taken some of us. Yes, we want our children to avoid sin, but we need to remember the powerful draw of temptation. Not only that, the temptations in this world today, I would suggest, are far greater than the temptations were when we were growing up. 20 years ago, they didn't have push-button pornography. That's essentially what cell phones provide if they're unchecked. 
That's a difficult world to live in. And remember, this is where God is comparing himself with us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. The word compassion means we have sympathy, tolerance, sensitivity, empathy, and care. Compassion is when we take into consideration a person's weaknesses and limitations as we evaluate them. But too often we're quick to criticize. We point out mistakes far more than we encourage. If you had a balanced scale in your house with your kids and you put on one side all the times you've corrected them, a weight for each one. On the other side, a weight for each time you've encouraged them. Which way would the scales tip? With God, His encouragement. He's the God of all encouragement. Far outweighs the scale. More so than His correction. One of my favorite lines in the Bible is, that, is the line, He remembers that we are dust. Apart from God, we're nothing but dust, and God knows it. God remembers that we're formed from the dust, and apart from Him, we're nothing. We need grace for every good work. Aren't you glad that when you fail, God is not quick to judge? He knows your frame. He remembers your dust. He's not quick to remember your sins, but He does remember you came from the dust of the earth. What grace it affords us to remember that our children are like us. They are dust. You know, dust really isn't good for anything, and it tends to ruin everything. Um, you know, while our kids were growing up, I just made this pact. You know, I just, I'm just not repainting anymore. It, it, it's useless. I'll repaint today, and then tomorrow it'll be scuffed up again. I'm just going to wait till all the kids grow up, and then I'm going to repaint. So I've started repainting in between children and grandchildren. Because I know that when I bring a household of grandchildren in two, I want to have it nice, but it's not going to be that way for long. They're just, it's like the second law of thermodynamics unfolding before me, everything going from order to chaos. Are we shocked, though, when our children sin? Do we say, you should have known better? I can't believe you would do such a thing. What were you thinking? Or do we remember their frame? that they are weak sinners like us. If so, it can allow us to say, yes, life is hard, isn't it? You know, they may take longer than we did to learn some of the lessons that came our way. Why? Because they're dust. Our children are dust. We're dust. We have the potential to ruin everything we put our hand to. But God undergirds our weakness. Look at the contrast in the latter part of this psalm between us and God. In, in verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field. The wind passes over it. It is gone. Its place knows it no more. We're weak like grass. And then, but the sovereign God is 
is different. But the steadfast love of the Lord in verse 15 is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. When I read those verses, I thought, that's the key. There it is. I'm like grass, and God is all-powerful. He's sovereign over all things. All things work according to his plan. It, it basically says that. His kingdom rules over all. And what does he say? It says, the steadfast love of the Lord in verse 17 is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. There it is. How am I going to be able to be the example as a dad? How am I going to demonstrate compassion like him so much so that he's going to point and say, oh, that dad there, I'm compassionate like he's compassionate. Why? Not because of my prowess, I'm dust, but because he says, this is what I'm going to do. From generation to generation to generation, my word will continue to go forth and my ways will continue to be known. I am going to do it. What a grace. Oh, God. The weight has been lifted from my shoulders. And it makes me want to be like him. It makes me want to be slow to anger, forgiving, abounding in love, compassionate. And it once makes me want to teach my children about this great and glorious God and my confidence as a dad, your confidence as a mom is not based on how well you do. Aren't you glad? You, you failure of a mom and dad, me, failure of a dad, he knows that I am dust. And he says, I'm carrying on my word through you, in spite of you, beyond you. I'm moving forward. I'm going to touch your children. Why? Because my word is not going to fail. I rule over all. And from generation to generation, this word will carry forth. That's why he can say, I parent like them. Because I'm blessing them. And I'm going to carry it on through them. It's my work. All of it. That's what God tells us. What a comfort to know that God will ensure his purpose will stand, that his kingdom rules over all. By his mighty power, we are being transformed day by day. He's so confident in his ability to work through us that here in this psalm, he says, my parenting, it's like theirs.
That's why I believe David is so excited. And in the end, he goes back to praising God. This is such exciting information. Who God is and what God does through us. That he says, bless the Lord. Oh, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places of his dominion. He is calling the universe, the heavens, the earth, everything to bless the Lord, oh my soul. Mom and dad, we are to be inspired toward gospel compassionate gospel parenting by God's example and rest knowing even though we are but grass grass he is eternal and can ensure that his gospel of grace is transferred to our children and to their children too God is not pointing the finger of judgment against us he's calling us to follow his example he declares his plan over our family do you love and fear the Lord and keep his commands then his steadfast love is upon your children and their children's children. Translated, he will keep you and the generations that come for you, come from you. What a great promise. What a great word. What a great God. Amen.